Yes. We are looking at Matthew chapter 18 this morning because it is Christmas time. And what Christmas means is that there is all kinds of things that are going on. We are getting, people are busily preparing. There is checking your list of who you need to buy presents for and making sure that you didn't forget someone on the list that you need to buy presents for and trying to figure out who do you get a present for something when you don't know what to get for that person. And in addition to that, there is the family negotiation that goes on about who's getting together and when and where. And it is always a part of our holiday traditions to include in the Christmas time just the anxiety and stress and some level of drama as family is all getting together. In fact, if you recall from the Seinfeld episode uh, from years ago when they were establishing Festivus, you know, the festival for the rest of us, having observed what happens in the Christmas season, there were three things that were necessary in order to have an alternate festival, which was, number one, that there would be feats of strength. Number two was that there would be a large aluminum pole. And number three is that there would be the airing of grievances, right? The airing of grievances. And so, yes, you cannot have the holidays or the end of the year without the airing of grievances. Unfortunately, as that comes along, that also means that there are oftentimes hurts and resentments and judgments and offenses that occur. And also, for some of us, is that when we get together with family and extended family, it's reopening wounds that have occurred from years and years before. So this Advent season, as we are preparing for the Christmas event and being together with our families and extended families and dealing with what happens every year at Christmas, we are looking deeper into what it means to be people who forgive that this would indeed be the season for forgiving for us as the people of God. Because forgiveness is one of the hardest and costliest things to do. It is the grace of God that frees us to do what God calls us to do, and God also provides the means and demonstrates it to us. So as we begin on this journey, we're spending two weeks on this passage where Jesus gives teaching about the nature of forgiveness and what it is to look like in our lives. From Matthew chapter 18, this is what Matthew writes. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will, repay, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went 
and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also will my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on his word. Father, we pray that you would teach us the wonder of your grace, to understand the great debt that we have before you, and that you took the initiative, and that you paid it out of your love. And so, Lord, may your love and grace that we have experienced, may it be experienced through us in our relationships. We pray in your Son's name, amen. So begin to think about this issue of forgiveness, and of course, you kind of, you're sitting listening, you say, okay, forgive, yeah, I know I need to forgive, well, and this goes from issues of forgiveness from everyday annoyances to big issues in our lives. So we're going to begin with a forgiveness checkup, and I want you just to think about how many of these phrases have you said in your own mind at some different point. You know what, I'll, I'll forgive him. But, I'm, but it's not going to be until he asks me. I mean, I'm ready to forgive. I'm willing to forgive. But I'm not going to forgive until he asks me to forgive him. Well, I mean, I've, I've forgiven her. But just because I've forgiven her, that doesn't mean I have to like her. And just because I've forgiven her, that doesn't mean I have to be around her or have any interaction with her. I've forgiven her, but I don't, I don't have to like her. Maybe there's things that have happened that you continue to replay in your mind even if they were long ago. And instead of addressing them and dealing with them, the thought is, well, you know what happened to me so long ago? It might just be better if I could just forget it. But you don't. And you keep trying to. And it gets played again and again. And then some of our more frequent relationships that comes along, we say, you know, forgive. I mean, why even bother? It's going to be the exact same thing next week. It was the same thing the week before and the same thing the week before and the same thing the week before that. Why even bother? Why even try? Because it's going to be the exact same thing next week as well. You know, after all, I said I'm sorry. I said I'm sorry. And if we can't move on, it's her problem because I did what I was supposed to do. I said I was sorry. I said I was wrong. It's her fault. It's her problem if she can't move on. Yeah, I'll forgive him. But he needs to pay for what he's done. I'll, for, I'll forgive, but... I can't condone this, and they need to, he needs to pay for what he has done. With each one of these questions and these thoughts that we have had, and maybe we've had them, one or two of them or all of them, the reason why they are so difficult, why there is such tension filled in each one of these statements for us is because forgiveness is costly. It is costly. And yet I believe Peter is on to something when he comes to Jesus and he asks him this question. Peter came up to Jesus and he said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as, as seven times? I mean, and who hasn't thought this in terms of what exactly Peter has thought here? But, you know, I think Peter is on to something. Because 
know, Peter knows that forgiveness is hard. He knows that it's difficult. There's a thousand reasons not to forgive somebody. I mean, they're not really sorry for what they've done. They don't deserve it. You know, they haven't learned their lesson. I don't want to condone irresponsibility towards this. All kinds of reasons why, why we shouldn't forgive. And so Peter comes along and he says, how many times should I forgive? Should, uh, even seven times? Now, I think we need to give Peter some credit here is that Peter is being rather generous because the, Jew, the Jewish rabbis at the time taught that if someone sins against you, you have to forgive them. And if someone sins against you a second time, you had to forgive them. But if someone sins against you a third time, they're done. You don't have to forgive them a third time. You've forgiven them two times, but three times, that's enough. And so Peter comes along, and he's been with Jesus, and he knows that Jesus upends the apple cart and the things that he does. And he says, well, you know what? Jesus here, I know he's always overly gracious and always overly caring, so I'm not going to double it. I'm going to double it plus one, right? How many times, Lord, do I, have to, do I have to forgive? Seven times? And here is Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, there's this debate about whether or not it's 77 times or 7 times 70. I think it is 77 for the most natural rendering here and also for a passage that's echoed here from Genesis. But the point of this is this, is to forgive without keeping count, right? I mean, if you're forgiving, what was that 63 or was that 64? 63, no, no, that was 50. Was that 53 or was that 54? Oh, I, I mean, I forgot. I lost count. I'm going to have to start this whole thing over again, right? Who can actually forgive 77 times? Right, the point is, is to forgive without keeping count. But I believe what Jesus is doing here in stating this to Peter is that he is echoing from a passage in Genesis, and this comes from Genesis chapter 4, verses 23 and following. And there's this man named Lamech. And Lamech gathered his wives together, and he said, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Now, what he is alluding to here is that Lamech was the seventh-generation descendant of Cain. Cain was one of the children of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, God created Adam and Eve, and mankind, Adam and Eve, turned away from God brought corruption into this world, destruction into our relationships one with another, separation between our relationship with God, and perverted the entire created order. And that sin began to get passed on to the rest of humankind. And Cain and had a brother named Abel, and they both gave offerings to God. And Abel's offering was given, okay, he gave him the best that he had to offer from a pure heart, and Cain did not do so. And so God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. And Cain became angry about this, and he decided, because he was so angry, he went out and he killed his brother Abel. God comes back to Cain, and he says, Cain, you're going to be banished. And not only are you going to be banished, but the ground will not be produced for you. You are going to have a very difficult and hard life. And Cain responds to God, and he says, this punishment is, is more than I can bear. If anyone sees me or comes across me, they will hurt me or they will kill me. And as a act of mercy, as an act of mercy, God places a mark on Cain. And he puts a mark on Cain, and he says to Cain, no, 
Because here's what happens. If anyone does harm to you, if anyone does wrong to you, then I, God says, I will avenge them sevenfold. That if someone hurts you, I, God, will avenge them seven times over. That the, the vengeance against them will be seven times more than what they have done to you. Seven generations later, Lamech comes along. And Lamech says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's revenge is 77-fold. If God's vengeance in wrath is sevenfold against for Cain, that is nothing compared to what happens if you cross Lamech, and you have crossed me, and you've crossed what I've done. Because God would avenge seven times, but Lamech, I am the one who would avenge 77 times. And so Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? And, Peter, and Jesus says, no, not seven times, Peter. Seventy-seven times. That the grace of God is not seven times, but it is infinitely more. And you see, Peter, you're going to have a choice here. Is that you have the choice to live your life on the basis of limited grace and unlimited vindictiveness, or can live your life in unlimited grace and in unlimited forgiveness. How many times do I have to forgive? Well, as many times as God has forgiven you, it's unlimited. So what does that mean? What is forgiveness? Well, to clarify a couple things, forgiveness is not a feeling. Rarely do we ever really feel like forgiving someone. Ken Sandy comments, he says that forgiveness is an act of the will. It involves a series of decisions, the first of which is to call on God to change our hearts. Why do we not feel like forgiving? Because there has been a real cost, and with a real cost, there has been real hurts that have occurred. So forgiveness is not a feeling. Similarly, forgiveness is also not, it is not forgetting. Sandy continues, he says, forgetting is a passive process in which a matter fades from memory merely from the passing of time. But forgiveness and forgiving is an active process, and it involves a conscious choice and a deliberate course of action. When God says that he remembers your sins no more, he is not saying that he cannot remember our sins. Rather, he is promising that he will not remember our sins, and he will not hold them against us. Not because he doesn't know what they are, but that he will not hold them against us. Finally, forgiveness is also, it's not a feeling, it's not forgetting. Forgiveness also, and forgiving is not excusing. Is that excusing says, well, you know what, that's okay. What you did, it's okay. Or it implies what you did wasn't really long, wrong, or you couldn't really help it, you know, or what you did, it, it didn't really hurt, it didn't really hurt because I'm tough and I'm strong, and it didn't really incur a cost, it didn't really incur a debt, what you did wasn't really that significant, I'm going to excuse it. But forgiveness is the opposite of excusing. In fact, Sandy writes, the very fact that forgiveness is needed and granted indicates that what someone did was wrong and inexcusable. And because forgiveness deals honestly with sin, 
It brings freedom that no amount of excusing could ever hope to provide because it actually deals with the debt. So if forgiveness is not a feeling and it's not forgetting and it's not excusing, then what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is releasing a guilty person from the debt due for their sins against us. Forgiveness is releasing a guilty person from the debt due for their sin against us. And it is costly because it releases a debt. You see, sin, when we sin against God, against other people, and against ourselves, it always creates damage. There is always a debt that has occurred. In fact, sin cannot occur without damage because when it occurs, there is something that has been lost. Sin is a bit like a tornado. You can have F5 tornadoes or you can have F1 tornadoes. But when you have a tornado, it is not neutral, right? Something happens. There is damage that is done. There is, there is hurt that is incurred. Something has been lost. It is not neutral. I think we know this experientially in our own lives. I was, this is many years ago, I was sitting and talking with a, a man who had done some things wrong. He had lost his job and his, uh, for some of the things that he had did, but it also, at least from his perspective, he was absolutely convinced that there was a lot of things wrong that were done to him in the midst of it. And he was really angry about that. And so I, as we were talking and are trying to share how the gospel applies in the situation, he's talking just about how much wrong was done to him, and he is just seething, and he is just oozing with anger and hatred. He's just oozing with it. And I said, as he's talking about his former boss and what happened, I said, how, how do you deal with this? Like, how are, you, how are you actively dealing with this? When this thought comes into your mind, like, how are you dealing with this? And he says, well, what I do is I sit home at night, and I think about in my mind, all the ways that I would hurt him and inflict pain on him if I could. All the ways that I could extract payment from him. That I could make him suffer as much as I suffered so that he would bear the cost of that, the, the pain that he has inflicted on me. I want to make him pay. And we know that feeling. Because when someone hurts us, we feel that there's been something wrong and we want someone to pay, that there's been a debt. It is costly. And in order to forgive, the debt has to be paid for. It was, it, it's what makes forgiveness so difficult. And what Scripture reveals to us is that in our own lives, what has happened is that forgiveness, yes, is incredibly costly. And that we are the ones who have incurred a great debt. In fact, the parable continues that we have this unpayable debt, as the story goes. It is illustrative, describing what the kingdom of God is like and describing how this works out in our own lives. When the king came and he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and for payment to be made. Notice that the sin of this one person extends beyond the individual to the wife and to the children and to other people. Our sin is never individual. It is never isolated. The consequences always overflow into other people. And so what's happening here? He says the servant owes 10,000 talents. Well, how much is that? Well, one talent was roughly equivalent to 20 years wages. One talent was 20 years wages. So, he owes 10,000 talents. So, if you're making $15 an hour over 20 years times 10,000, that would be a $6 billion debt. 
If you make the average income of St. Mary's County around $80,000, that would turn into a $16 billion debt. That is so huge, that's hard for us to comprehend. What does that equate to? Well, that's roughly, what, one aircraft carrier and 19 JSFs? That's roughly, uh, how about the new, what, MQ-25 Stingray? I don't know what that's, roughly 70 of those. I mean, maybe 50 after you consider cost overruns and all that stuff that happens, right? The point, though, is that it's this enormous, unfathomable amount. And some have commented on this passage that for this person to have such a debt, the way that that occurs is not from borrowing. It incurs by inflicting damage. Like, this is the guy that, like, that sunk the ship. I mean, this is the guy that lit the field on fire and burned up all the revenue for the years. Right? This is a guy who has incurred this enormous debt far more than he could ever pay in his life. And the parable is instructive of us that we have this debt that is absolutely unpayable. The psalmist says, if you, O Lord, marked iniquity, who could stand? If you actually kept track, who could stand before you? The answer is no, 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 no one. There is no one. But we hear this stuff, and the way that we replay it in our mind is to say, really? I mean, do I really have that big of a debt? Is it really, really that, is it really that big? And the issue here for our debt that we have is twofold. One is dealing with the pervasiveness of sin in terms of the amount of sin, how much sin we have. But the other issue is not only how much we have, but who our sin is against. And in terms of how much, it's interesting different religions of the world have tried to quantify this. Hinduism has quantified this, you know, in the cycle of reincarnation, and their estimate is that it takes 6.8 million reincarnations in order to get life right. 6.8 million is their number of that. And other ones have different, different figures of this. But the other issue is not just the volume of sin that we have, but who it is against. It's one thing if you punch your brother. It's another thing if you punch your parents. It's another thing if you punch a police officer. It's a whole other thing if you punch the President of the United States. One gets you an elbow back, and the other one gets you shot on the spot. How disproportional. No. It's the same offense, but the offense has a greater consequence and a greater punishment because of who the offense is against. And though we sin against one another, our greatest offense is against God, and our sin is not against the President of the United States, but our sin is against God Almighty. And so consequently, we have this enormous debt against God, and it is unpayable. And frankly, our biggest obstacle when it comes to the matter of forgiveness and the struggles that we have in forgiving other people, our biggest obstacle to forgiveness is not owning our own debt. Our biggest obstacle to forgiveness is not owning our own debt before God. And our response to that is to say one of two options commonly. One is we say, my debt's not that bad. In fact, that seems to be the, the approach of this servant here. Look at what he says. My debt's not that bad. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. What a stupid statement, right? I mean, how completely and totally pathetic and idiotic of a statement. I will repay you. I will pay you everything. 
It's a statement that's almost as dumb as saying, you know what, I'm a good person. And the good in my life outweighs the bad. It's like this. Is that let's say you've got several thousand traffic violations. And you go before the judge and you say, I've got, I'm really a good driver. You don't understand how good of a driver I actually am. I mean, you have no idea how many times I actually obey the speed limit, how many times I actually stop at the stop signs, how many times I actually you know, slow down at the yellow and don't slam it and run through the red light at the, at, at the last minute. And you see, judge, what's supposed to happen is that every time that I'm under the speed limit, like every second, that's another one that goes to my credit. So that all these bad things that I've done, that compares nothing to everything that I've been doing all along and driving correctly. What would the judge say? He'd say, you're a fool. You only did what you were supposed to do. You only did what you were supposed to, you only did what you were, you were supposed to do. And so for us to come before God Almighty, who our offenses are against, and to say, you know what, my debt's not that big and it's not that bad, it's either pathetic or it's ignorant, or it's arrogant, or all of those above. But the more common response that we have, I think people have today, is to say, my debt's not that bad because it's not my fault. It is just simply not my fault. This became so apparent to me in my college dorm room when my, we were in a townhouse and my, my housemate across the hallway from me in the upper floor of our townhouse is that he and his girlfriend were in there and they were having a fight. And they were screaming and yelling at each other. And she was screaming at the top of her lungs, these blood-curling screams at him. And periodically while she's screaming, you would hear this, like, thud, dunk, 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 right? And then scream, 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 and then like, thud, dunk, 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 dunk. I mean, there's like stuff flying across the room that she's like, she's like chucking at him, right? And then she comes out, and she comes out the door, and she slams the door shut, and she walks over, and we were friends, and I'm like, are you okay? She's like, yeah, everything's great. I'm like, uh, let's like rewind like 15 seconds like, like ago, like, what's going on? She's like, no, we're all, everything, everything's good. And I'm like, well, what, what was going on in there? And she was like, oh, 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 that wasn't me. I was like, well, it's just the two of you in there, right? She's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was the two of us, yeah. I mean, that, that was my voice that was screaming, but, but that, that actually wasn't me. I mean, that, that's not who I am. That wasn't me. I don't act that way. I mean, that's, that's what he did to me. I mean, that's just, that's just he's, the one that made, he's the one that made me do that. He's the one that made me, that made me respond like that. And, 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 that, and, that's, and that's not me. And I think if, you had, if I had pressed her a little bit further, she would have gone on to say, in fact, if anyone needs to apologize, he's the one that needs to apologize for saying the things that he's saying so that I did the things that, that I did, but they're actually him who's the one that did these things because it was actually his fault. I don't have a debt, it's him. So we deny our debt and we push it off on other people. But our problem is that our debt is our debt. We're the ones who created it, and we're the ones who own it. And so if in a given situation, if there is a, let's say, in a relationship, 95% of the fault truly is the other person's fault, nonetheless, that 5% is 100% yours. And you stand before God with that 100% being wholly and completely your own. We created it. We own it. Our debt is our debt. So if the debt is unpayable, and we can't do enough to earn it or to pay it, what happens? How then can there be forgiveness? There's forgiveness because God pays our debt. 
out of pity for him. The master of the servant released him and forgave him his debt. Now, did this servant ask for forgiveness? No, he was just trying to say that he was going to repay it. Is he sorry? No, he's still thinking that it's not that bad. Why did the king forgive him? Tell us, out of pity for him. Out of pity for him, he forgave him. And Scripture would say us more broadly that why does God forgive us is because of His great mercy that He has, because of His great love. Romans 8 declares, but God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life? For if while we were enemies, while we were running away from God, while we were shaking our fist at Him and telling Him off, while we, were, while we were enemies of God, it was at this point that out of His love that God pays our cost, that He swallows our debt, that He is the one who takes our punishment. As Carl prayed earlier from Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now notice how the debt is paid. But he was crushed for our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed is that he is the one who bears the cost, the great cost, the unpayable cost. He, the only one who could pay it, pays it for us on our behalf, taking the punishment and payment that, we, that is due to us. And he pays it so that we would be forgiven. And Paul, when he's charging the elders in Ephesus, as he's about to depart from them, he reminds them to be, pay careful attention to himself and to the whole flock, which he obtained or he purchased with his own blood. You know, sometimes people who are investigating Christianity, and this might be where you are today as you're looking at this, and you say, well, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die? Like, if he's God, why couldn't God just forgive and just forgive and make it all go away? And the answer is, is because God does not minimize sin. And he doesn't pretend like there's no damage. That there is a real cost that had to be paid because there is real damage that is done and has been done. And sin incurs a real debt. And instead of exacting that debt from us, God in Christ Jesus pays that debt himself. And the reason why he does so is because of his great love. Because of his love that is greater than all of our sins. As I mentioned this, and as we start to reflect on this over these upcoming weeks, there's different aspects of forgiveness. And I know we touched on this briefly this summer in the Lord's Prayer. But as we reflect on forgiveness and what this means and the struggle that we have in forgiving, know that I am not minimizing In fact, quite the opposite. I'm not minimizing the cost, the debt, the hurt that has been done to you and done in your life. 
and the true and genuine and real pain that is there because of that. I'm in no way minimizing that. And another thing that happens is that as we start to work through forgiveness, what happens is that we see something and then we forgive and then we realize is that the consequences, that the debt that was incurred was far greater than we knew before. And so you have to work through it a little bit more. And then you realize even again that the debt after that was even far greater than you had initially conceived. And so it oftentimes is, it takes a while of a person working through this and working through not only the depth of their own hurts and debts before God, but also it takes a while to work through to understand the magnitude of the debt that some people have inflicted upon us and those that we care, and that it takes a while to work through those and to understand that. But as I mentioned at the beginning, the greatest obstacle that we have to forgiveness is not realizing the amass of debt that we have. God realizes it, and he realizes that, the, that what would be needed to pay for it would be the life of his own son. And so as we move forward in these next couple weeks, there's a couple of things I want you to think about. One of them is this, is that if you're here and you're not, you're investigating Christianity, you're trying to figure this out, maybe you don't think your death, debt is that bad or that your death before God is, is your fault, what Scripture makes abundantly clear is that you have this enormous unpayable debt, and the question before you is who's going to pay it? Who is going to pay it? It's either going to be you for eternity, or it'll be because you accept the gift that God has given you through Christmas in the birth of His Son as the one who has paid your debt and set you free. And not only has he paid your debt, but he has given you the full riches of Christ credited to you so that you would be a new creation and adopted into his household and showered with his love that you could live in it and that you could experience it. And so I'd ask you to think about that. If you're not a Christian, whose debt? Who is going to pay your debt? For those of us here that are Christians, I invite you over the next couple of weeks to really reflect upon the debt that Christ has forgiven. And if you don't think that your debt is that bad or that significant, reflect on what was necessary to pay it. And what was necessary to pay it was the blood of Jesus Christ. And as you reflect on the magnitude and the enormity of your debt, reflect even more on what is greater and what is greater is the love of God for you in Christ Jesus, for it is His love that drove Him to forgive you. It is His love that Christ went to the cross so that the penalty that you could not be paid would be paid by Him so that you would be set free. So as we prepare to celebrate and remember the birth of the one who is named Jesus, who will save his people from their sins, is what that means. And as we anticipate not only Christ's coming, but look forward to his second coming when all debts will be paid and this world will be made new, may we meditate upon our unpayable debt that he has forgiven. May we ponder his unlimited grace, his unlimited forgiveness, and his unlimited love that he showers upon you again and again and again into eternity.
Let's pray together. Father, the death before that we, that we have before you is incomprehensible and unfathomable. And yet, Lord, though our debt is great, though our debt is incomprehensible, it is not incomprehensible to you, and it is not unfathomable to you. And in fact, you knew every aspect of it. You knew the full extent of it. You knew the things that we would do and the things that we have done and what we have said and how we have acted and what we have thought. You've known in every way that we have sinned against you and the wrongs that we have done and also the good that we have failed to do. And knowing that full debt, knowing the full extent of the damage that is done and the chasm that was created between us and the effect and consequences of our sin in this world and indeed the whole created order, you knew the full cost. And you, Lord Jesus, did not hesitate to pay it. And you did not hesitate to pay it because your love is greater than the debt of our sin. And we cannot out-sin the grace of our infinite and loving Father. So Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ who paid our debt. And Father, I do pray in particular for those here today who don't know you, who are not yet trusting in you, who somehow think that their debt's not that bad or it's not their fault. Lord, would you convict them profoundly of the enormity of their debt and that they would turn and trust in you and hope in you as the one alone who can pay it. And Father, for those of us who are wrestling through various forms of unforgiveness in their, and the pain and hurt in our life, Lord, you know the cost. You know the great cost that forgiveness takes. Lord, in fact, your forgiveness does not minimize our sin and the debt and the debts that we have incurred and the debts that we have created and the debts that have come against us. But rather, Lord, your forgiveness exposes the enormous cost. And so, Father, for those of us here that are hurting in various levels of forgiveness and unforgiveness, those of us that are realizing the, that the extent of hurt in our lives or the extent of our own actions is far greater than we thought, Father, we pray that you would overwhelm us with your love and understanding the debt that you have forgiven so that we would be set free. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.